it definitely made me realize that like I needed people to talk through my grief with and like it was something that even though I had attended therapy before and and you know over kind of the years had random times done therapy I think for me it was very much of like I need somebody that I can talk to that's not my family because they had that same kind of shared experience and they were dealing with their own grief. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shape them and their workplaces. Today's guest is April Hofbauer, Senior Director of People at Maze, who reveals how grieving her grandmother has impacted her awareness of mental health, why it's okay to cry on Zoom sometimes, and how Maze deals with the unique challenge of supporting well-being across a fully remote team. This podcast was brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. So it's it's really nice to have you here. I'm very excited. Welcome and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's great to finally connect with you, even though I think we've both heard about each other through yes. other people. Now we can actually talk live and, and talk bad about everybody else, right? <laughs> that is right. Yes. <laughs> so why didn't you start like interviewing yourself, telling us a bit about you, what you do at Mace, maybe a bit about Mace as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Maze basically enables you to test rapidly at scale. So if you have a prototype or an app or an existing website and you want to get feedback from your users, you can do it at scale with Maze and you can do it very quickly. So I'm the leader of the people function. That's a, a great honor for me. And it's something that I've enjoyed doing for a number of months already and, and just can't wait for what the future holds for us. We're all remote. We're currently in 23 different countries. So we have a great kind of eclectic mix of people. And personally, so I live in the States. I'm currently in Nebraska in my home uh, with my trusty furry companion always <laughs> by my side. And yeah. how many people are you in the people team? We're six. Six. Um, six total. We're currently hiring for two more. And, you know, I always think in remote environments, your people team needs to be one of the, the larger teams to be able yeah. to support, again, people in 23 different countries and, yeah. and to handle, uh, you know, that kind of scale. So I don't know if you had like an event or a moment or an experience in your life that perhaps like shift your idea or perspective around mental health. Absolutely. Um, you know, and maybe I should preface this conversation by my sister and brother-in-law are both in the field as well. So I think mm. I come at it with a little bit of a different lens. Mm. Um, but for me, definitely, I view mental health as like getting an oil change for your car, right? Like there should be no shame in getting your oil changed. So why is there any shame of saying that you're in therapy and just making sure that you're kind of taking care of your mental health as much as you take care of your physical health or, you know, your spiritual health or whatever the case may be. But for me, I think it was uh, the passing of my grandmother. So I was very close with her. I took care of her for a number of years and um, she literally passed away when I was holding her in my arms. And I think mm. that kind of a experience would rock anybody. But for me, it definitely made me realize that like I needed people to talk through my grief with. And like it was something that even though I had attended therapy before and and you know, over kind of the years had 
random times done therapy. I think for me, it was very much of like, I need somebody that I can talk to. That's not my family because they had that same kind of shared experience and they were dealing with their own grief, but definitely something that um, I wanted to address just so I was taking care of myself because I think it was a very big life moment and definitely yeah. something that I wanted to make sure that uh, I could manage that grief properly so that I could still be you know, my best self. I definitely changed me forever, I think, going through that experience, but mm-hmm. I want it to be like a you know, it made me stronger. It made me grow kind of an experience at the same time. Yeah, it's very yeah. impactful to hear. How old were you when that happened? Uh, Actually, that was last year. So, um, you know, I I had taken care of her for for 10 years. And um, I mean, I think I'm still going through the grief for sure. Mm -hmm. There's triggers where I just something, you know, some memory pops up or or something happens and um, I'm still working through the grief. I think that anybody can identify with those kind of big life moments, right? Like the past year and a half have been pretty big for all of us and and major life changes. And we're all in this like shared experience. And I hope we come out of it on the other side of like being able to accept each other more and to accept each other's not perfect lives, right? Like our lives are very messy and, and things have happened that none of us could have predicted, but I hope we all come out of it uh, more accepting and understanding. And also, I think it's a great time for mental health awareness, right? Yeah. I guess the whole coronavirus like accelerated the process of normalizing this because suddenly everyone at the same time was having a difficult moment for different reasons in different circumstances. When this happened to you with your grandmother, was it in the middle of COVID or was before... She was in a nursing home for the past few years or a long-term mm-hmm. care facility. And because of COVID, we were not allowed to see her face-to-face for about mm-hmm. nine months. We could do window visits, but she was battling with dementia. And so she didn't understand, one, why we were not coming yeah. and you know seeing her. But two, we would try to talk through a telephone because they couldn't even open up the window in case you know the virus would pass through. And she didn't understand like why the voice was coming out of the telephone phone, but yet she could see us. So it was very difficult for nine months of the the pandemic to communicate with her in any sort of way. So I made the decision to pull her out and to, to bring her into my home again to try to care for her there. She hadn't walked for about two years at that point. So she was completely wheelchair bound. It was very difficult for her to, to feed herself and to be able to do any sort of self-care. But for me and for my family, like I could see the decline happening with her lack of physical contact, her lack yeah. of mental stimulation because they had their own protocols that they had to abide by to keep them safe. And for me, like that quality of life just wasn't what I wanted for her. So pulled her out of the nursing home uh, and took care of her. And, you know, when I pulled her out, it was like, I don't know how long this is going to be for, because at that point, you know, the vaccine still hadn't rolled out or, or anything like that. But I wanted, I wanted to, to have her be able to have some sort of better quality of life than what, what she was able to have during COVID in, in a long-term care facility. So you were very, very close to her. I was super close to her. Yeah. I mean, you know, we lived together for eight years. I took care of her when she was first diagnosed with dementia and and managed her care and managed her disease for 
for that time until uh, she was no longer able to walk. And then it just got too hard to be able to have her in the home. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say she was probably my best friend, really. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah and it must be very hard for you as well. I'm sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, um, I would not give that time back for anything. Like it was a very magical um, time. It was hard. And of course I miss her. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm working through the, uh, the grief for sure. Yeah. And I can see your emotion. Like you still, you're still there with her like yeah. processing. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing. Sure. So what, what is helping you to, to process this? I mean, I think talking about her for me is, is a big thing. Like, even though I get emotional and it makes me sad, she had an amazing life. She lived for almost 94 years. And, and that to me, like, I want to keep her memory alive. I want to share those kind of experiences with my family. And like, Oh, remember that time we called her Baba, like, remember that time Baba did this or, mm. or like, Oh, the, that's so Baba or, or something like that. I think that helps me. And again, just seeking out some sort of outlet to work through my grief um, and to be able to, to talk to somebody who can listen and can understand, you know, I think support groups are another thing, like not only seeking one-on-one help, but support groups is another thing. And, and whether you can do that in person or virtually, I think there's something about that shared experience. And And there's a a major population of the world that's aging. And so there are caregivers that are having to take care of, you know, this aging population. And and that is a a heavy burden. And a lot of the times it falls to females. And so I think you see, you know, a lot of women leaving the workforce to be a caregiver in some sort of capacity, whether that's for children that are in school already, or if it's for an elderly parent or grandparent, you know, I think that there's a lot of stress for caregivers. And so support groups are a great outlet for that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is true that sometimes when you are going through a difficult moment, it's like you're not thinking about all the resources that are out there for you. And there are many other support groups that can be very impactful in the process. And not only are you not necessarily thinking about it, but also you're like, I don't have any time or you're not prioritizing yourself. Yeah. You know, for years, I definitely prioritized her and her health and not necessarily myself. And so... Mm-hmm giving yourself that space to say like, I can spend a half hour a week talking to a support group again, if it's virtually or or whatever the case may be, but being able to recognize kind of that you need that time just as important as taking care of, you know, whoever it is that you're taking care of as well. Yeah. And I, I've been speaking with other people in this podcast about how many, because of society and the rhythm of, of how things work many times rather than, just stopping contacting being aware of what happening is like you starting out to pilot make maybe overworking maybe it's just almost like denial mode and then you don't get to actually process you just move on and continue but those things are there absolutely so- i think it's very easy to to be so busy that you forget or you don't even recognize when things might be 
you know, traumatizing to you. And it's like, until you kind of remove yourself from the situation or until you slow down, like some of us have, you know, early on in the pandemic, that's when things started really coming to light. And, you know, I think that it's important again, kind of like the oil change, right? Like you do it to maintain, you don't do it when there's a problem. Like you don't wait to get your oil changed when your engine is smoking, you do it so that that doesn't happen. And I think that's kind of the same thing. If you prioritize yourself and your mental health, hopefully you don't have those kind of like moments where you just are uh, completely burnt out or whatever the case may be. Do you feel comfortable talking about your mental health and things you're going through at work? I personally do, but I also know that that's not the norm. Like I'm a very transparent person. What you see is what you get. I think especially in a remote environment, you don't have that, like leave your personal life at the door. There is no door for me to leave anything. Like I'm in my home office, people are going to pop in and, and life is happening around me. And at the same time. And so I love that fact about remote work is that there is no longer that mindset of like, leave your personal stuff at the door. It's all happening all at once, work and life and all of that. And so I do think that I'm comfortable talking about it because when somebody pops in the background on a Zoom call, I have to give context as to why there's you know somebody behind me or whatever the case may be. And, and I think as a people leader, that's important to create that environment where it's like, you don't have to apologize for your dog barking because I get it. My dog will probably start barking in a second too. Or you don't have to apologize for your kid asking for a sandwich because I get it. You're working at home. Your kids are probably at home too. And they're asking for a sandwich. Like I would love to normalize the interruptions and just yeah. not have to apologize. Yeah. We're getting there with normalizing like daily life, right? Perhaps it's a bit more difficult to normalize mental health, right? Because yeah. it's not it's not like, I don't know, your sadness is working walking behind you or right. or things like that. So what do you do or what would you like to do in order to normalize these kind of conversations? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think you can also have the opposite effect where like, I don't see these people all day, every day. And and some people I only see once a week or once Mm -hmm. every two weeks. And so Mm -hmm. from the last time I saw you until now, like there can be drastic differences in the way that you look and in the way that you kind of come across. And so maybe sometimes it's actually easier to pick up when things Mm -hmm. are happening when you don't see them so often. But I, I do think that it's it's up to them to be comfortable with it. And all I can do is try to create an environment where they feel comfortable enough to do that, but that doesn't happen overnight and it's not going to happen instantly. And the other thing is, you know, again, we're in like 23 different countries at the moment. And so there's a lot of cultural differences Mm. where maybe in their culture, you just don't talk about these kinds of things. And so how do I create an environment where they're safe enough that if they want to, they can, or how do I create an outlet so that they can do it and have easy access to some sort of mental health care, but it doesn't have to be something that I'm aware of. Like, I don't care if you necessarily come to me and confide in me and your problems. I just want you to seek help. And so if that's seeking help through a platform like Oliva, or if that's seeking help by venting to me and and brainstorming, like that's great. I just want you to be comfortable enough to have some sort of outlet so that you can address whatever's happening in your life. Because it doesn't even have to be major life events that make you seek mental health care. It can just Mm be stress of everyday life and and stress of working in tech or working in hyper 
growth startups or yeah. whatever the case may be. So yeah. So I'm hearing like you leave a lot of open doors so people can choose which is the door they feel more comfortable with. As you know, uh, Joe, uh, founder and CEO of Maze was in this podcast before, and we were talking about this as well. And one of the things he was saying is that he, he would share his personal stories about mental health and that leading by example and normalizing that is another way of creating this safe environment for people. It's like you're allowing people if you're doing it yourself. Yeah. And I think not only leading by example, but again, going back to the not apologizing when, when you have a moment, like I cry on zoom sometimes that's okay. Like I, you know, I have that relationship with people and I think they understand that I'm a human being. You're a human being. We all have these emotions that we're dealing with. And so why do we try to hide them? And why do we not share them with each other? And maybe it's not something that somebody is going to listen to, right? Like maybe they're going to fast forward through the part where I talk about my grandma, but that's okay because I feel better talking about it and that's being true to myself. Yeah. How do you make sure or how do you help people being able and having the resources to navigate those conversations? Manager training is so important. Again, in a remote environment, you're dealing with a person, right? You're not dealing necessarily with an employee because life is happening around you. And I think that it's important to make sure that they feel enabled to deal with those situations. And so manager training is important. And I think when you're talking about learning and development, it has to be how do we create an environment where they're emotionally able to be their whole selves, but also where they feel comfortable enough to open up. So that's one for sure key. And I think the second thing is, is that where do your managers turn to when they have every you know direct report sharing their personal information. It's just like therapy for a therapist, right? Like yeah. you need some place to go to yourself. And so I do think that that's important that you create, again, opportunities for them to be able to share and whether that's like a small group and they can kind of help each other. And it doesn't have to be sharing of specific situations, but definitely being able to share what they're dealing with and what their team is going through and how do they kind of manage that and getting different ideas. I think that's also super helpful. Yeah. Like I think many times people are giving this role of being manager without giving any guidelines or anything, right? And yeah. or when they get it, it's like how to do a one-on-one, how to do a performance review, how how to do like very tactical things. But then there is another level of emotional support that maybe starts with motivation and this kind of things that maybe are more normalized, but being capable of detecting how the other person, where the other person is and how it is, is very important. So what do you think are the most common struggles around mental health at Mace? I think it's probably going to be right now centered around the pandemic, right? Like, Mm. you know, I think, um, everybody again has been dealing with so much and and it's just compounded on top of everything that we were dealing with before yeah. right like life life did not um, stop having stress just because we went into lockdown or, or whatever the case may be and so I think it's just again going back to kind of making sure that they have an avenue to to talk about. And then also making sure that you are able to help the people managers, because I think that uh, especially line level management doesn't get enough support. They don't get enough attention. And that's definitely something that would be helpful to focus on. 
Yeah. What what initiatives have you implemented at Mace in order to protect or prevent or promote uh, mental health at work? I mean, I definitely think it's a muscle to create an environment so you are continually working on it. But mm -hmm. one thing that we recently implemented, well, recently in startup world, you know, it seems like a long <laughs> time ago, but it was the the unlimited time off. And I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, there's very much like this, like, oh, unlimited time off means no time off in startup, right? Like mm -hmm. in tech startup, but that's not what we want. And so how do you make sure that people have that freedom and flexibility to take some time off, to take that break uh, when there's probably only one of you in the entire company, right? Like we're a small scrappy startup, just building out the team. And so if that person is gone, how do we manage the work that still needs to be done while they're taking some time off? So making sure that they have that space and that, you know, don't have to worry that your email is growing or that your Slack messages are growing because we want you to actually enjoy the time off that you're taking. Or again, just take a day. If you're not feeling it today, take the day, reset yourself, maybe uh, go for a walk, listen to music, like whatever it is for you. And then hopefully tomorrow, you know, is a better day. Do you monitor if people are taking less holidays than the minimum or, or something? Yeah. So the, we don't have necessarily a minimum yet. I, again, I think we're a little bit too small to be like, oh, you should be taking, you know, X number of days. The managers get reports every month um, of what their uh, direct reports have been taking. And so you can definitely have a conversation. If, if I notice somebody on the team hasn't taken any days this past month, having that conversation of, do you not have the bandwidth or do you not feel comfortable enough to be able to step away? What can we do? And, and kind of brainstorming together of, of how, how can we make you comfortable to take some time away? Mm. I have mixed feelings with the unlimited holidays because yeah. my experience in the past was when when there were unlimited holidays, this, this was like this social pressure in certain areas of the business mm -hmm. where people wouldn't take holidays Any? at all. Mm -hmm. And then other areas of the business where people were like, bye, four months. Yeah. And <laughs> so it created this, uh, yeah, like tension. Um, yeah. Also, I guess it depends a lot how you frame it and how, like you were saying, the size of the business, the maturity of the business and many other factors. I think it will change as we grow. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of companies, it's very hot right now to be like, oh, Bumble is now offering two weeks a year where they shut the entire company down, right? Like yeah. twice a year, they do that for a week. LinkedIn does it every summer where they shut down for an entire week. So yeah. you have a lot of these companies who are recognizing that pressure to, even though we offer unlimited, never to take time off. And so yeah. companies are addressing it that way. My previous company and other companies that I know of, they do it once a month where they mm -hmm. like shut down the entire company. And you definitely have to lead by example. You can't have you know the company day off and have the CEO posting on Slack every two minutes. It doesn't work like that. So yeah. you definitely have to all commit from the top down of, of doing that kind of a thing. But I think that's why you see those companies doing it and why it's very trendy and, and a trend that I actually quite agree with and quite enjoy to just shut down for a day a month. So everybody feels you know less pressure to be on. Yeah. I guess it's what you are saying. It's key. It's like not implementing one thing and then forget 
about it, but more like monitoring and making sure that you're adapting the implementations you make according yeah. to the business evolution, right? Like you were saying, like a startup changes so fast that you need to be, it's not like, oh yeah, check done. And then you never review your your implementations, right? Yeah. And that, you know, that's one of the ways that um, the people team uses Maze is to pulse check different yeah. things that we're doing of like, does this still make sense for you? Are you enjoying this? What do you want to see? And uh, most of the time we try to do it so that we don't know the individual responses. And that way, hopefully mm -hmm. there's a little more freedom to be truthful uh, of what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. But definitely pulse checking is important. Yeah. Just to wrap up, could you give one piece of advice around mental health to our listeners? Um, one piece of advice, I would say, don't let it fester, right? Like don't, there's no shame in seeking support. There's no shame in, in seeking advice or mental health counselor and do it sooner than later. because it's not benefiting anyone. If you let it fester. Thank you so much. It really was a pleasure talking to you, sharing yeah, you our stories it was really nice. And thank you for sharing such a personal story. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Likewise. Take care, April. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Mental Health at Work is hosted by Maita Otero, produced by myself, Simon Dumont, in collaboration with Aptus Audio, and brought to you by Olivo. Proper mental health care for the whole team. Thanks to April for her insights about grief and for excusing canine behavior on Zoom. If you have a product you need to test, give Maze a try. If you're into the podcast and you want to support us, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work wherever you listen to podcasts or leave us a review on Apple Music, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening and see you next time.